Welcome back. Best hour of their day. Fern and Ackerman here today, and we are going to discuss all things muscle up. I don't think people should do the muscle up. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I, I, you know, before diving deep into it, I thought it would be interesting to talk about when we first started or first heard of the muscle up. Because I had no idea what it was until CrossFit, obviously. And to me, having seen it on videos only and then buying one of the first sets of rings from Rogue Fitness, I was like, no big deal. I'll do muscle ups now. Did you ever make your own set of rings? No, I never. I was close to it, but I was so bad at building stuff that I couldn't get the P. You had to like get the PVC, put it in the oven. Did you do that? No, I uh, I did. This is just funny to talk about because for people that have joined, like have started CrossFit in the last, I don't, I don't know, seven years, have no concept of how difficult it was to get basic things for the CrossFit gym, like well, a pull-up bar or a set of rings, or you literally had to send a written letter to a guy in Mexico to get a pair of lifting shoes. Like that was just crazy shit like that, where just people don't understand how, like how there was no market for any of these things. All right. So let me ask you, what do you think? Cause I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, in 2006 and seven, when I was piecing together Albany CrossFit, there was like an eBay site called like Christian's Fitness Factory. <laughs> and it was like, that's where I would get all my standalone squat racks, like these little cheap metal squat racks that would tip over. Right. So, and, and rings. And I, I, as bad as I am with building things, my buddy helped me put the pull up ring together on the wall and it would literally come out of the wall during the workout. But when do you think that shift was? When do you think the turning point was? Because you're right. Somebody wants to open a box today, get a couple of pieces for the garage. Most people just hop on Rogue Fitness. But w so was it the when fact that Rogue picked up? Was it when Reebok came along? I, well, I think it was, it was not necessarily Rogue. I feel like, again, Faster might have been on the scene just slightly beforehand. But it was probably like around that 2010 time frame where it still wasn't super easy but it wasn't impossible like it was in 2008 like in 2008 it was just impossible to get things you you could not get like bumper plates was a big deal like to try to get bumper plates you know and i'm trying to think of other stuff that was really well, you you mentioned a funny one which was the lifters back in the day like you couldn't Nowadays, you can get Nike, you can get Adidas, you can get Reebok, there's Noble, like there's so many different varieties. The back in the day was like you had to go, like you said, like you had to find the guy. And I think they were like do wins. Yeah, they were do wins. And I actually paid um, probably north of $300 on, a, on an eBay auction for a, pair of, for a pair of 2008 Romaleos Nikes lifting shoes oh like, yeah and like i was more than happy to pay more than like almost 300 bucks for those yeah when romaleos came on the scene they were everything like because i had the do wins and they were basically like velvet i want to say yeah it was like a suede it definitely wasn't velvet but yeah <laughs> it was like a jumpsuit um yeah they were like suede and they had the velcro strap over and the 
the bottoms were basically wood. Yeah, if you had a pair of like the old school, like the, one of the original Adidas Adistars, then you were like kind yeah, of assumed that you knew what you were doing. Those like orangish red ones, remember? No, they were silver and black. Well, they had those? Yeah, yeah those and they had, a, they had a wooden heel on them. They were, they were legit. So anyway, there was that, there was rings. But you know, my funny story is I finally got these rings and I hang them in the Globo gym area. So I was training people at a, at a gym called the Court Club, which is where I opened my first box. But I was using the Globo gym area, which is small, little Nautilus, low ceilings. So I hang low rings from the squat rack and I couldn't do them. I was like, what the hell? Like I thought I was just gonna throw them up there and have muscle ups like the girls and Annie, Nicole and Eva and nasty girls. And it, it took me weeks. And I remember getting my first muscle up up in that little Globo Jamarian screaming and no one, no one had any idea what I had just accomplished. I remember just being absolutely amazed by watching Pat Sherwood do 30 muscle ups per time. Well, and he was doing like, and he was doing, and this is, and he was, I, I want to say he did it in like five, just over five minutes. And this is like 2009, all strict. And he was just doing like quick singles. And I was just watching it, thinking to myself, like, I have, I have no concept of how a human being can do that. Yeah. And, and then there was a video by a guy named Rob Miller. Remember him? Yep. On Rock Climber. And he did 30. And he was doing, I remember he specifically set a clock and was doing one every 15 seconds. Yeah. I think, I, that's like, some, I think Pat did something very similar. And I was like, I, that's amazing. Like wow. one muscle of every 15 seconds. Yeah. And so speaking of Pat, I go to my level one. And this is like right, I mean, I took my level one fall 2007. So it must have been right around the same time. And I knew like I was kind of like, I knew I had a muscle up, but I wasn't great at him. So they do the muscle up breakout. And back then they were just letting people flop around, like kipping whatever you want. And I had sunglasses on my head, much like you, keep my hair back. And I go and I get my first muscle up and my glasses flip over as I'm on top of the rings and land. And Sherwood looks up at me, goes, cool guy with the muscle ups. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. So, yeah, I guess I am. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's me. So, you know, obviously the muscle up has come a long way. The 30 muscle up for time workout still a standard and actually, you know, used this year, you know, think about how crazy that is. Back in the day, just doing 30 muscle ups alone was- In under 10 minutes was like pretty good. Yeah, now they did Grace and Isabel and 30 muscle ups. All in under nine. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's, it's amazing how far the, the sport has gone, but let's just talk about the, where the muscle up fits in, some best practices, some of our favorite scaling options, and, and you know, what we think CrossFitters and box owners should be doing it. So, so let's, let's dive in there. What, what are your first thoughts when you hear, when you hear muscle up? I have the good fortune of hindsight and probably a mild amount of maturity at this point. Um, and I, I think this is a concept that people should take to heart, which is some people will never and should never do a muscle up, but that does not mean that we should not try to inch them towards that. 
and it's I, and it's okay if certain people never do one. It, it's like where where this can go wrong is we try to push people too fast or too far on some complex movements when our only goal is to inch them forward, right? So that that's the first thing, which is like it's okay if people don't have one, and it's okay if you come to the conclusion that Grandma Jenny will never get one, but it doesn't mean she shouldn't have some of the basic components of a muscle up. No, that's a really interesting point, and I think like you said, it comes a little bit from maturity because in 2007, 2008, I think we both would have been like, grandma, get on the fucking rings. You're doing muscle ups. Right. And now. Yeah. Everyone, you can't do this. You're deficient. <laughs> you're worthless and weak. Um, you know, so, and it was funny. I think it was last week or two weeks ago at a level one doing, I was given the what is CrossFit lecture. And then I also gave the snatch breakout. And in the What is CrossFit lecture, somebody was like, how functional is this movement, the snatch? And I think that it can really, the same could be said about the muscle. Like, how functional is it? Yes, in an ideal world, you can get yourself up and over an object. As a kid, I was awkward and not athletic, not that much different than today. I was going to say, what do you mean as a kid? <laughs> I beat you to it. Um, but I really struggled. Like, when my friends would climb a fence, like, I was the guy that was like, wait for me. Um, and now it is, it is impressive that with the muscle up, I am better at that. Not that I'm, you know, climbing fences often, but I have done obstacle courses and, and I know it's from doing the muscle up. And I think truth be told, like you said, is it functional? Do I need grandma doing the muscle ups? Do I need her snatching? Probably not. But I heard Joe DeGain say this at a seminar and he's like, you know, but if we get grandma working towards it, I'm a little less concerned about if she's going to fall, you know, or I'm a little less concerned about, you know, her picking up the laundry basket. Yeah. There's some, there, like, again, it's not so much about the muscle up as, as it is, you know, and this is athlete specific and obviously requires context, but the components of the muscle up, for instance, if we're not talking about, okay, I'm hanging from a, from a frictionless plane on these two rings and then making a transition from below to above an object. And I want to, really break that down to grandma does fall down and she has to get herself from the floor to a seated position, potentially using a table or a chair. Now it starts to make a little bit more sense where like, Oh, there are some basic components of a muscle up that do apply to the real world. And if I can teach them that uh, very similar to the transfer drill, if you've ever taken the adaptive athlete course, which is, which is actually really difficult for people that are fit. So th there is absolute, functional transferability of that movement if we remove the whole gymnastics realm of of that movement from it and again giving people those components is also going to help them in a lot of other ways like if we're not working transitions we're probably not giving people some of the work and some of the range of motion that they need at the shoulder we're not teaching them how to stabilize their their body in certain positions you know they probably don't press or pull as well as they should and that's that's not okay from a coach's standpoint. So let me ask you this. I think one of the most challenging aspects of it is knowing there are, you know, in any given workout, any given box, I'd say maybe on average 20% of the people in a class can actually do muscle ups. I'll be high. I, I would. I would okay. actually, yeah. So how do we keep the interest of those other people? This is a tough one because I do feel that the muscle up, is one of the more difficult movements to scale correctly because everybody has like, there's a very, 
there is some serious minutia there with regard to one athlete to the next athlete to the third athlete with regard to like where their skill level where their skill set is with the muscle up and what is appropriate from a scaling standpoint in, 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 in order to make it difficult based on the workout right so it's like what is the volume of the of the muscle ups like like is it 30 is it five like which which progression or transition should we use in order to make that drill difficult for them um and that requires in my mind probably more tools than almost any other movement in order to really if i have 15 athletes in a class in order to really give 15 people something that is equivalent to the difficulty level of somebody who has a muscle up for that workout Right, because for a lot of movements we do in CrossFit, it becomes very simple. You scale the load, scale the reps, but the muscle-up has multiple components that we need to be aware of. And when we talk about at the level one, you need to be able to do pull-ups and dips without a doubt, but you also need to have some skill, fall grip, transition. So there's so much to teach these people that don't have them. How do you kind of find that intense well, stimulus? Yeah, well, and it's tough because more often than not, we give people a scale that is that is virtually not not even remotely difficult for them to do. You know, so they do the kneeling muscle up version where they have their feet on the floor, and then they just kind of casually work through that. At no point are they actually having to work on you know any sort of control. They just kind of use their legs and pop up or. Or they need, or they should have had the rings a little bit higher, or they we should make them work a little bit more in the ring dip and all that stuff. So that's why I said it, it's it's really difficult. Like whether I'm doing a, a a box transition muscle up, it's like where where should they put their feet in order to actually have to work to make that transition so that they're getting through there. And and that's why I think it's so difficult to dial up something like the muscle up in order to have everybody. And and that's before we talk about is it ring or bar muscle up similar transition to entirely different animals. So, so which, which one do you find easier ring or bar to like me personally? Yeah. Just to do just to hit in a workout. Um, honestly, I think, I think the ring is a little bit easier because that's where I started. Right. Like I started there and so that I had the technique for that before I had the technique for a bar muscle up. The bar muscle up, in my opinion, does require a bit more strength, but less stability because I do have to pull higher for a bar muscle up, right? I need to get full clearance over the bar where I can kind of get myself through on a set of rings. That is my personal opinion. That has nothing but my anecdotal experience. Um, but that's me. So that's my experience. And I, all, and I do see more people get so to counter that, if I was going to play devil's advocate, I see more people get the bar muscle up first before they get the ring muscle up. Yeah. I mean, I think usually it's like 50, 50. It's like asking what's harder, the clean or the jerk, right? Some people say the clean, some say the jerk for, for me, bar muscle ups are significantly easier. I can do muscle. I could do both, but I find it a lot easier to string together higher sets of bar. So let's, let's dive a little deeper into it. You know, really when it comes down to the muscle up, if you, if you have members that are doing it, great. It's often, all right, let's refine some things. We can talk about the kip, we can talk about early arm pull, et cetera. But let's, let's dive first and foremost into teaching and scaling. How do, where, where and when do you begin teaching the muscle up? 
it, for me, if it's in the workout, I'm probably, it will probably immediately, some variation of it will probably immediately be um, thrown into the general warm up. Cause like it's not, that's the muscle up is not something you want to spend five minutes on in, in a specific warm up. Like you need to spend adequate time there. And that could start with a host of floor drills, you know? So one drill that you can work on from a, from a transition standpoint is if, if you have somebody who's laying prone, so they're on their stomach, um, kind of in a push up position, but they have their forearms flat on the floor and teaching them to transition from their forearm being flat on the floor to transitioning into a push-up position with their forearms vertical that's a really good place to start and it's far more difficult than people think to do that drill but it is a transition where i'm kind of shifting my body weight forward and you're immediately going to see the people who have some capacity in order to do that so i'm going to start there with some with some fairly basic drills just like pressing drills some pulling drills maybe some ring rows um, and maybe do like a three to four minute little AMRAP of three different variations of that and have people do, you know, we've talked about this before, a little, a little talking warm up where people are just moving casually so I can put my eyes on people, but all of those movements are relevant uh, or, or pieces of the muscle up. Yeah, I think that's a great drill. I've seen, there's a video out there of Camille, I believe, teaching it as well on boxes. Mm -hmm. And I forget what they call it, maybe the Russian dip or something like that. Yeah. Where you're working on that transition. And that's probably the, my biggest pet peeve when it comes to other coaches coaching the muscle up is, I mean, how often have you seen it in other classes? It's like, Hey guys, it's muscle up day. For those of you that don't have muscle ups, which is a something I hear now because of what we talked about yep. months ago. And I, and I bring it up, right? Not who doesn't have muscle ups, but who's working on their muscle ups. Still it's, working on muscle ups. But it often becomes, hey, okay, four pull-ups, four dips. I mean, that Pat was the Sherwood, Pat Sherwood has a great, and I've I've literally never forgotten this because uh, that is for a lot of people that is the typical scale. If you if if you don't have muscle-ups, we're going to do three dips and three pull-ups. And for most people, a they're not missing either one of those components. If they have both of those things, we probably shouldn't be focusing there. But his thing was always like, hey, a cat and a dog don't make a giraffe. So stop, <laughs> so stop doing that. You know, um, because we, you're, you're ignoring the, the technique portion of that, which is the transition, which is the part that people are missing. So we're doing them zero favors by cutting out the most important aspect of, of what makes the muscle up difficult. Yeah. I mean, and I think a lot of people leave their level one having that newfound realization where it's like, oh, I really do need to focus on this false grip and the transition. You know, speaking of, what do you find easier to get people their first muscle up, strict or kipping? Oh, that's athlete dependent. Like, de depending on the the kind of depending on how many pull ups I've seen them do and different things. Like, I'm okay with some people kipping. For most people, like it, it's uh, as Rob would, it's cringy. Like, I get a little, <laughs> I get a little freaked out because I've seen people shoot through the rings and you know, do all sorts of crazy stuff in there. So I really want to see people work in a strict, in a strict fashion first, because I know some things about that movement. I know they have the required strength in order to pull themselves and get themselves into good positions. And I know they have control, but just throwing people in the rings and telling them to kip away, really, really not responsible from a coaching standpoint. And I'm guilty of doing that in the past, number one. And then you learn better and you're like, oh, this is, this is not a good idea. Yeah. First of all, a lot of good feedback on the word cringy from our last episode. People, 
people like that word. But, and, and I, one thing I have found is I actually find it easier if someone's trying to get a muscle up to get them a strict muscle up first, because while the kip obviously helps and, you know, gets their hips and their center of gravity higher, it's way more to think about versus pull transition. Correct. You know, and yeah. if, if they transition, the dip is what, there. What percentage of people would you say? So we do a, we do a 30 minute, we do a 30 minute breakout at the level one course. Yeah. And what percentage of people, what percentage of those seminars would you say that you get somebody to do their first muscle up in that 30 minute window that did not have one prior to? I'd say at least 90. I can't think of many seminars that we've left where, you know, back in the day when we used to do two breakout groups, yep. almost always at least one of them. But I would say even to this day, it's very rare that I remember no one getting their first muscle up. Yeah, I would say it's a safe 75%, like a very yeah. safe 75% of those seminars. Take somebody who doesn't have it, work on their technique give them a couple little pointers and all of a sudden they can do a muscle up, which is what is missing more often than not in the affiliate setting. So like, how do we solve that problem? If you're a coach listening to this, you're like, okay, cool. I get conceptually what you're saying. How do I do that from a practical standpoint on the floor tomorrow or this afternoon? Because I have the afternoon classes and it's muscle up day. Well, I think first and foremost, you have to revisit what we're going to teach them. So we have to you know, I think A, you have to take a step back and teach your members there's a difference between the strict and kipping muscle-ups. Because 90% of the people in your box are doing kipping muscle-ups, so that's what your members see. Then they hop on the rings, and they're just flopping around like dead fish. They have no idea what they're trying to do with their body. So getting them to understand and probably showing them what a strict muscle-up looks like and then starting to dive into the two technical pieces of the fall script and the transition, you need to know the low transition. I've written articles about it. I know there's plenty of videos out there, but really diving into the transition from the floor and showing people what that feels like. I think one of the big things from a, like if I'm running a class where this goes wrong more often than not, is you have to prep, you have to prep the floor. So where people blow this is they give the whiteboard brief, they do the general warm up, and then they realize they need to set up 10 sets of low rings. So you're taking and a step back. Point, you're going back even further than I went. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Because you don't, you don't have that time to set up 10 sets of rings now, particularly if they're not some of the easier ones that are just clipping. If you have to feed it through the damn, the thing and then and then get them set up i mean that's a nightmare that's a that's a that's a four day evolution to get four sets of rings up and that's one of the things hey it's worth yeah. spending some money and getting yourself better better so, straps for your so that's, the, that's the first thing is prep your gym prep your floor space for all of the progressions and that way it's a seamless transition i don't have to waste any time doing that which is like i'm going to do this progression over here these are the low rings that I want people to do this portion in. These are maybe the, the higher set of rings, or these are the boxes that I'm going to have people start from, the, uh, from that Russian dip uh, um, drill or from the floor. And then these are going to be the high rings that we're going to transition to. So that's the first thing is like stage your class for the progressions that you want to teach in order to try to get somebody their first muscle up. Like if you're not, if you're not going through some of those, that that's a massive mistake and we can use those movements as both a general and specific warm up for a, for a workout like that
So you have your ring set up. You start to show these different points of the progression and, and different aspects of, of how to do it. Where would you begin though? Let's lay it out for, for someone coaching today. You know, someone's coaching a muscle up, whether it's, you know, realistically, it'll be like, hey, five rounds and there's five muscle ups in a workout per round. Where, where do we begin for the class? And, but then the, and then the, the next challenge to that is how do we keep the people that are doing muscle ups already moving forward? So this, is the, this goes back to that teaching aspect, which is if people are bored, it's because you're not giving them any value. So nobody in your class moves perfectly, which means regardless of the drill that we're doing, they could all clean it up, myself included. Like I've literally never been to a level one where somebody in that group, regardless of their skill level, could not be tuned up a little bit. So I would start everybody on the floor. Let's just do, let's just do some basic pressing from the floor in, in multiple variations of a push-up. So push-ups from the knees, some sort of cobra press up where I'm leaving their hips on the floor, just getting the body ready for some of that movement. And then maybe transition to uh, a Russian dip or a push up, and then maybe pair that with some ring rows and then slowly talk to people about moving their feet forward and start working on the, the false grip while they're doing the ring rows. And at that point, if somebody can't pull the rings to their sternum with their feet at something that is, you know, greater than 45 degree incline, then I kind of know some things about what needs to be dialed up for that progression. But I'm getting the basic components of the push up, or excuse me, the press or the ring dip and the pull for the pull up of the of the muscle up. I'm getting them warmed up for those in a in a lighter loaded environment, right? So we've changed the plane and we've we've put their feet on the floor. So they're not moving their full body weight. And then from there, what I can do is I can start teeing up different transitions, whether it's like low rings, whether it's people who are going to be using bands from a seated position. Am I going to have people in a straddle, all of that stuff. And then I can spend 10 to 15 minutes just going through that. And at that point, like at the end of that, you're going to know who's ready to go to the high rings. And I don't have to spend a ton of time on the high rings. If you spend 15 minutes on the low rings, just working skills and drills, you need, I don't know, two minutes to get on the high rings and, and play around for a second and then you're ready to go. Do you teach and take that aspect of class like you would a level one and have people go up and try their first muscle up in front of everybody? Uh, not necessarily in front of everybody. At some point, I like to, I like to think of the, the class when, when I'm teaching progressions as like their bus stops. So everybody goes and I'm just dropping people off at their different end destination, which is their variation of the progression. But that way I can take everybody through all of the progressions and I'm just dropping people off as I go. And then I'm progressing the next group while simultaneously checking back on the previous bus stops that I had for people um, to make sure that they're still doing well, or to see if I might need to dial up the difficulty level of that progression. Be like, hey, I need you to move your feet forward or the rings need to be a little bit higher. Bring those up six inches so that we can make it a little bit more difficult and you actually have to pull. Um, or if you're doing jumping bar muscle up, making sure that the height is appropriate so they actually have to pull and they're not just jumping over the bar and not really working on the, you know, the actual transition of getting the elbows around aggressively. So having that goes all back to like laying the classroom out, walking people through that progression, which you can do fairly quickly while engaging everybody, making sure everybody's got an appropriate progression and not leaving anybody out. Like, it, you know, and that's the goal. Well, and I like that too, what you said, because 
I've been guilty of it. You realize there's muscle ups, you go over like to teach them. And all of a sudden you realize, you know, five of our eight rings are up high. And I've been, I've got no one in class that can do those. So why didn't I put them down lower to begin with, which is eating into now my, you know, 15 minute of specific and, and general warm up to get them prepared. Yeah, and then, you go with, and then you go with the old, all right, guys, go for a 400-meter run, and then you scramble to get the rings down, now having wasted three minutes of your timeline. Right. That you're not going to get back to do something that we should have done prior to class. What have you found to be the most important steps in the transition to get people a muscle-up? So, you know, someone joins, obviously depends on, on their ability when they come in, their nutrition plays a role at some point because the muscle up is one of those movements where, you know, having additional body fat is not going to help you get over those rings. Uh, you need to develop some pull up strength. You need to have dip strength. But what are some of your favorite scaling options and, and favorite transition movements to help people get their muscle up? Well, I actually don't think it's either either of those. I, I don't think we're going to expose anything, you know, groundbreaking from a progression or scaling standpoint in this podcast. Most of that stuff is on the internet. I think what is largely missed is I think people just need some targeted accessory work. Like they don't have good upper back strength, which is going to be really hard to do if you're not doing some isolation stuff in there. And this is where the accessory work comes in, which is, you know, people hate on that stuff, but maybe they do need to do some bicep curls. Oddly enough, you know what? Uh, the biceps are involved in the muscle up as is the upper back, right? So maybe we have them do stuff like bent over rows or dumbbell bent over rows, just getting a little bit more pulling strength. It's thinking about those planes of movement. If eventually we're going to get to a kipping pull up or we're teaching people to lean back and expose their eyes and their chest to the ceiling, well, that goes from a frontal plane movement to a sagittal plane movement if I'm going to get that 90 degrees at the shoulder and the torso. Well, I can pull a lot of different ways from that sagittal plane. I can be chest up or I can be chest down. What's the easiest way to do that? And it's like use some old school bodybuilding stuff, which is just upper body pulling from a, in a controlled environment, whether it's a barbell or whether it's a dumbbell and just start building some strength. Like if you've got like some cable setups in your gym, like that's a great place to start, you know? Um, well, I another think one, another one I like to do, this is one I learned it um, from Matt and Sheree Chan that I saw in their gym years ago, which is hook up a set of rings from like some lighter uh, rubber bands, right? right. So it's from straps, they're hanging from rubber bands and just work on a seated transition with those rings uh, that are in rubber bands because as I pull, the tension gets greater, which means I have to pull harder to get to the end range of motion in there. But I can do all of that with my butt on the floor while developing some strength and pulling. It's kind of like a um, like a cable machine almost, but you're just doing it with rings and rubber bands. So I think a lot of accessory work can help a lot people very, very um, in, in a big way there. But that stuff's not sexy, you know. But like just trying to muscle up over and over is also a shitty idea. Yeah, no, I think, you know, first of all, I love that movement that you just described from Matt and Sheree. I've seen it and definitely implemented with some classes. And I think big picture what you're saying is you can't just get content and give people the same scaling options. Even for me recently, I've been trying to experiment with some banded options for my members. You know, for pull-ups, pull for example, I had people on Friday 
strap two bands to the rig, grab one in each hand, and basically do an old school lat pull down. Yeah. You know, but it was just something that I'd seen recently um, and, and was like, let's try this. And the ladies loved it. Or for Toes to Bar, rather than just doing candlesticks on the ground, I put a band on the rig, put a piece of PVC through the band, you know, so they had to engage their lats as well. I think big picture is you're only limited by your creativity. From a scaling standpoint, this is something, again, we talk about the level one is your scaling options should be just varied, maybe if not more than your programming in general. So I'm a big proponent of not using the same scaling option two times in a row. Whatever you did for scaling on the muscle up last time, we're not doing that variation this time. I'm going to try to make it more difficult. And, and again, that is the hard part is like finding something that is difficult because here's a little tip for everybody. Your members hate it when you give them shit that is easy to do. Regardless of it, like what it looks like, they appreciate it and they will like it if it is difficult and it doesn't have to be overly complex to be difficult. I agree with that, especially a day like muscle up. There's nothing worse for the members than coming in, watching the handful of people do muscle ups, a handful of people kind of knowing their scaling option. And then they feel like, oh, he just gave me banded pull-ups. Or they just like, I'm going to do this transition my feet on the floor that requires like very no. little, no strength whatsoever. You know, that's, that's a, again, I've done that and I've been that guy. So you really have to, again, this is why this is so difficult is like, you really have to get creative and you really need to start kind of filling up that toolbox with as many possible scaling progressions as you can possibly find for the muscle up, because that is the only way to get people even remotely close to attaining that skill. Well, and this, you know, we recently had Chris Hinshaw in our private mentor group doing a special call for our members. And one of the things he discussed was, you know, your members need to take ownership. And, and I think a lot of what we're saying too is giving the, your members that ownership, be it, hey, what did you do for your last get, time we did muscle ups? Because maybe you didn't coach them or maybe it was two months ago and you forgot. You know, and then also, like you said, kind of, well, where do you feel like you're weak in the muscle? Is it the pull? Is it the dip? Do you know the fall script? Do you know the transition? If I give you some homework, will you do it? Because I'll tell you guys that are listening, when you get someone their muscle up, you know, I don't have any data to support this, but they are more likely to stay as a member. Member for life. Yeah. It's just, you know, there's like that turning point where it's almost like you get your CrossFit card, if you will. Like, there's nothing wrong with never getting a muscle up. Totally fine. You're still, you know, a great person. I mean, you might be an asshole, but hey, that, that's not why. But, but the, the point is, if, if I can take someone new and over the course of a month, three months, six months, a year even, get them to develop their muscle up, they're, they're buying into what we're doing. Yeah, and, I, and the other way to give them ownership is, is eliminate their excuses, which means I have to be able to provide them with a lot of different options. I have to be able to, they're like, well, if you only give them one scaling option, your members don't know what they don't know. So my job is to expose them to so much information over time, obviously not in the 60 minute window that they don't have an excuse to not work on that. You know, if they don't have an inverted ring row with a false grip to the sternum, maybe they should have that you know, from, in a, in a plank position. For those of you who don't know what an inverted ring row is, it would be 
if my feet are on a box and I lay myself down hanging from the rings such that my shoulders are lower than my feet when my arms are fully extended and then pulling in a false grip to where my hands or my thumbs are at my sternum. That's hard to do even for somebody who's pretty strong. So if you're not exposing them to all these drills, you're not exposing them to what their weaknesses are, they're, they're going to not, they're going to have a really hard time taking ownership of like getting better at those things. So it's my job to teach them where the holes are and then give them solutions for how to fill those holes. And, and as coaches, it's important for us to remember your members want specifics. So I, I've been guilty in the past, you know, for muscle ups or even for the banded pull downs I taught on Friday, I'm kind of like, all right, you like those go do some. And they're like, well, how many? All right. You know, go give me five sets of 20. They'll go do it. It is the yeah. same, like, like squat therapy is a great example. I'll teach squat therapy and almost always, well, how many should I do? Like, your members want that. And when you give them that, now they have a goal, they have a target, and they're far more likely to accomplish it. Then we know a lot more. We know when we say, hey, go work on this, what we would do, give them that homework. And, you know, and maybe it's, hey, you know, every day from now until I see you again, I want you doing these, you know, whether it's inverted ring rows or alternating with, dumbbell rows, like you said, yeah, working some of those auxiliary movements, but giving your members that homework and that's, what's going to keep them coming back. And that's, I've seen plenty of people develop a muscle up with only coming to class, but it's usually the people that spend a few minutes here and there. You know, I always love seeing the women who, when they get really excited about CrossFit and want to get their pull-ups, they'll do volume or they'll do ring rows after class. They'll do, you know, five by five pull-ups. We need to be able to give our members that so they can go off and do a little more, but not, you know, take forever and, and be working towards a specific goal. Yeah. And, and two people who, who elaborated this on, who elaborated on this really well were Chuck Bennington, who's on the show and then Pamela Gagnon. And if you're looking for information, like go no further than those two pages as far as their Instagram handles, because you will find an incredible amount of scaling options and progressions for the muscle up that you can implement in your class that are going to be difficult for everyone, regardless of whether they have a muscle up or not. So that going back to how do I keep people engaged? Well, you need to be more equipped with like different scaling options and different progressions and having people understand that, you know, holding a hollow rock for 30 seconds is going to help you get a muscle up. You know, first of all, yeah, Chuck and Pam are great. And if anyone's listening and wants to take the gymnastics course, hit us up. We have a discount code to save you 20% on the gymnastics course, which in my opinion was the most valuable specialty course I did at the time. And I took it, I've probably taken it five times over the years and in its different iterations, but it continues to evolve and be great. So hit us up on social media if, if you want a code for that. But agreed, part of what you're saying is, so for me, a lot of times when I have five extra minutes in a class, I'll throw in like a Tabata hollow hold for my members, I'll throw in, you know, something. But I do explain the importance and where that transition is. And that's another key component to getting your members to buy in and ownership is, okay, yeah, now I do understand why this position is so important, why I should work so hard on it. And, and getting your members to, understand all these concepts is, is, is tremendous. The other thing that I think is important is trying to 
set up scenarios where we limit. <clears throat> so let, let's, let's switch gears here. Let's, let's move away from people that are working on the muscle up to people that have the muscle up, but wouldn't necessarily fall in that bucket of like, they're really proficient at the muscle up. They've got them, but it's intermittent at best. They don't, they never can do a huge volume. And this is another area where I think people really blow this. And, and it's one of those things where it's just the scaling option that we need to take a real hard look at volume. So in our gym at CrossFit Rife, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of if you have a skill, so let's think double under, muscle up, pull up, we are going to do that skill in whatever volume is appropriate. And that could be two reps. Because we have to remember that if they're, if they're not proficient, it, it's probably pretty difficult for them to do. So they're expending a lot of energy to get very low volume. So it, it's, it's relative in that manner. But where a lot of people will, coaches will blow this because it's easier is they will immediately scale down so that this person can get higher volume instead of making them work to get lower volume at a more complex skill. So in our gym, if you have a muscle up, you're going to do muscle ups, even if that means one muscle up per round. And the goal is that we avoid failure in some of those more complex movements at all costs. Meaning like if you need to take an extra 30 seconds, take the extra 30 seconds, but I want one muscle up. And I think that's far more valuable than trying to have them rack up a ton of volume doing some sort of scaled version from the floor because they already have a muscle up. I love that. You, you kind of bring up a topic that I want to take a quick tangent on when you're saying that you made me think of, there's always people in our workouts and our classes that at some point during the workout, when they see other people moving, they think they're moving slowly. So they start to scale themselves, be yes. it weight or be it movement. And you made me think of that. Cause if you're like, Hey, go slower, but make sure you do it. They're going to see everybody, whether it's moving beyond and they're going to say, well, forget what coach said. I need to get more reps in because I'm falling behind. How do we teach people the importance of it doesn't matter what other people are doing, where they are, like everyone's doing their own thing. Don't take five pounds off the bar so you can move a little faster. For people like this, I will give them the focus for the day. So like I, I will, I will, my guidance to a lot of people is like, hey, be good at what you're good at manage what you're bad at. So if you're great at the barbell, here's what I want you to do. I want you to smash the barbell today. Like I want you to go full ham, blow that thing up. Then when you get to the muscle up, I want you to throttle back and I want you to concentrate and take your time. And I'll give them a focus and I'll say something. The focus is we're going to get this many muscle ups, zero failures. However much rest you need to take in order to make that happen is what we're going to do. So I'm, I'm trying to get them buy-in on what the focus for today is to help them because they want that skill. They want to be better at that skill. So they're, they're very likely to agree with that guidance. So I will give them the intent and tell them, you know, A, what I want to happen, but also what I don't want to happen. I said, hey, if we fail, that one counts, move on. We're not going to sit here and fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. We're, we're building and, and we're putting a lot of emphasis on shitty movement patterns if we're failing, 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 failing. So I want to get away from that as, as much as possible. And I'll have people that do that. Let's say it's a, you know, whatever, six rounds and it's, you know, it's prescribed at five muscle ups per round, but I'm going to have them do two and they might miss 
the second muscle up in round three, I tell them to slow down and then they come back and they get two and two in rounds four and five. For me, that's a win. We didn't check the box of no failure, but I did keep them within the window of where I wanted them to be, which is like, take your time, concentrate on good movement, work on the skill. And then when you go back to the barbell, dial it back up. And what would you say to them if they're like in the middle getting frustrated because they see their peers moving faster? I tell them to concentrate on what on themselves. Like, hey, you're you're concentrating on the wrong things. Like, what they're doing is not going to help you get a muscle up. So stay focused, and then I'll just get them to move on. You know, like if, if they're missing and they're failing, I don't want them to spend any more time dwelling on that. Hey, move on. Go to the barbell. I want you to smash the barbell. Go unbroken. Don't put it down. When you come back here, we'll talk about this when you get back. I think that's just an important lesson as coaches to take and to try to implement. You know, we we see our members and. Sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we're frustrated. You've, you've coached hundreds of people that day and it's easy to just get frustrated with them versus stopping and thinking, could I be remedying this right now? Mm -hmm. You know, if your members are doing something, even something silly, like putting too much chalk on their hands, they don't know any better. Like your members aren't just rubbing chalk on their hands because they enjoy it. They're doing it because they think that's what they're supposed to do. So rather than getting frustrated with them, use that as a coaching opportunity for, for yeah, any yeah, you kind of have to teach them you're coaching them through that workout right like through every aspect of the workout not just the physical portion of it but like the psychological portion of it like if if you're not adept at picking up on people's you know physical cues when they start to get down on themselves like it's something to pay attention to like what do their facial expressions look like does their body position change those are all things that I want to be preemptive about. And if I can head that off at the pass before it gets too bad, I can recover the workout. I, I can turn that potentially ne negative experience into a positive, prevent them from being an idiot, and then highlighting what they, the good decision that we made mid-workout. That, that, I mean, I heard Donnie Forbes once say it, and you know, it's obvious we've all said it, but it's like that's the art of coaching. You know, we talk about at the technique and intensity lecture, like balancing safety, efficacy, and efficiency. And it's, it's really, that's the art of coaching. And that's what you just said. And that's harder to learn than, you know, we have our 10,000 hours there, but I think you and I can kind of manage that as we go, you know, but for a lot of coaches, what you have to think about is how do I get this person to have their best hour, to have the best experience here? And you have to balance well, they need to, like you said, to be doing something challenging and hard, but also feel like they've succeeded at the end. You know, so the, the other day we filmed an episode of me coaching for our private group. You know, something that we try to do is put some of our coaching out there for our members to see what higher level coaching looks like. And it was uh, every three minutes and it ended with handstand pushups. But I had a woman named Leanne who I love in class because she loves getting pushed, but she scaled from 15 to 10 for the first three rounds. And I said, all right, Leanne, round four, I need you to get 12. She did it. I said, you know the deal now. Last round, I need you to get 15 handstand push-ups. Now you have three minutes because this round ends. She got to 14 and she failed. She failed. She failed. And in my mind, I'm like, ah, I don't want to ruin this class for her. But she was ecstatic that she did two more in the last round, four more. So you have to know that about your different people. If she was someone that would be down on herself, I wouldn't have given her that bigger challenge. And, and that's the art of coaching. And that just takes time and experience to, to learn. And I think one of the 
one of the things that I've learned over the years is that it's okay to, to cut people off and move them on, like in the middle of a round. If I see that these failures are starting to stack up, it's my job as a coach to intervene and tell them to move on. Because guess what? Nobody speeds up at the back half of a workout. They don't get more energy. Their muscles don't get less fatigue. You have to know that and be like, hey, move on. Let's try to come back to it fresh on the next round or the next workout, you know? So it's okay to be like, hey, last attempt, and then we're going to move on. We're spending too much time here. Like, this is not the point of the workout. Um, and, and your members want to move on at that point. Yeah, they don't want to flail around and look. They're, they're, all they're doing is feeling bad about themselves because all they're thinking about is everybody's watching me fail these, these reps, even though nobody's watching them fail those reps. Everybody's in their own world. But that's what they're thinking about. So they're, in a lot of cases, like they're begging for you to come over and tell them to stop. So just tell them to stop. Like, again, it's, all, it's about good movement patterns. If they're just failing, 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 those are not good movement patterns. The other thing, as far as it, trying to avoid that scenario is, you know, it goes back to the whiteboard brief, which is like, you have to paint a picture. And generally where this goes wrong for somebody who has a movement but is not super proficient of it is we've dialed up the in a, an inappropriate amount of volume. So if it's a six round or five round workout or six round, let's go 30 reps total. So let's say it's five rounds and it's six muscle ups per round. Tell everybody it's 30 muscle ups. I know that sounds stupid. Tell them it's 30 muscle ups because they're not thinking about the number 30. They're thinking about six. They're like, I can do six. Can you do it five times? Cause that's 30. They're going to give you that, that big eyed look and they're like, Ooh, 30 is a lot. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's basic multiplication, but you were not thinking about that. So what's an appropriate volume? And they're like, well, I think I could do 15. And you're like, okay, cool. Then let's do three per round rather than six. They'll bite off on that because now they have like the bigger picture. And sometimes it's my job to expose them to that. Um, and then what I'm going to do is we're going to celebrate that success at the end of the, at the end of the class. Like, hey, Jay, great job, no misses, got all 15, and we, got, and we got 15 muscle ups in this workout. That's awesome. Next time, we'll try to push to something to 20. You know, and I think in both of those examples, whether it's cutting them off or setting them up for success in the beginning, have that conversation at the end. Hey, yeah. I, cut you, I cut you off on round four, and we dropped it because I wanted you to achieve X, Y, and Z going forward. Or, hey, how was 15? You think you could have handled uh, 18 next time? You know, it looked like you were stringing them together. Maybe the first round will go to four unbroken versus three, and the goal is to maintain that. So, you know, big lesson for all of this is keep that open line of communication with your members. Any, any last-minute thoughts on the muscle-ups? And I have a funny story I'd like to share. Yeah, I'm not shocked by that. Um, no, I think it's just, you know, like, I don't think many of us and probably double unders falls in the same category as the muscle up where we don't spend enough time trying to arm ourselves with enough tools to get people those fractional improvements, which is how the muscle up and things like the double under work. Like I'm not going to make these leaps and bounds, uh, improvements in one class. I'm going to do that in little tiny incremental portions, class over class over a six to 12 month period. So we constantly have to dial up new things that are progressively kind of pushing them 
their envelope, progressively making things more difficult, whether it's moving the feet, moving the rings, using different objects, you know, uh, scaling the volume, all that stuff. But that is how you keep people coming back is that continual challenge because they're thinking about that challenge next time they come in. Yeah, and I think muscle-ups and double-unders and, and other high-skilled movements are worth having a special class at your box every so often. For sure. But it could be an opportunity to you know, charge members $20 a head, and whether it's pay yourself or pay your coach or if you want to put it out there for free. You know, I think I've learned if you charge people, they're a little more – uh, you know, they, they're more likely to be accountable for it. They're more likely to practice if maybe you put in some homework that they have to do at the end. And, and plus, you deserve to get paid for your time. But I, I found muscle-up clinics are one of the most well-attended things that we've done in, in the boxes in the past. I know at North Mabel's CrossFit, they have one coming up in the, in the next two weeks, and, and it's going to be sold out. So I, I highly recommend offering that. My, my, my last muscle-up story... And we can wrap it up after this. And hopefully we covered everything. If you have more questions for us, of course, hit us up. Is So I go from the upstairs of the core club and I finally open my downstairs space. And, you know, it was before there were rigs and everything. So I actually had this welder fabricate basically a one really high pull-up bar. And it was on like a square stand. So it didn't, it rocked a little bit, but basically it had one set of rings. So over in the corner of 800 square feet was one set of rings. Talk about not maximizing floor space. <laughs> so I get this set up. We couldn't get it into the room. Long story. We had to like basically cut it apart, put it back together, et cetera. So it's up there. And I'm like, all right, this is it. I'm going to record myself. I'm going to do 30 muscle-ups. I was motivated by that Rob Miller video. I was like, I can do that. And at the time, if you did stuff like that, CrossFit would make you the video of the day. Yeah. So I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to be on CrossFit.com. I'm going to be a web celebrity. Everyone's going to love me. And I get up. I'm like, all right, three, two, one, set up the camera. This wasn't like a phone at the time. This is like I had one of those little video cameras. Hit my first muscle up. I'm like, wow, that felt good. I'm going to string together two. Hit my second muscle up come down, shake it out, go up to do my third, could not do another muscle-up. I was done. I had maxed out, and that was it. Like, I literally couldn't do another muscle-up. I just failed for about the next 20 minutes and finally shut the camera and walked away defeated. Do you still have that video? I think we should post it. You know, it's funny. I don't have the video, but if you – I've seen it. The old Albany CrossFit YouTube channel has like all of my old cheesy videos. So if you need something fun to do, go to the Albany CrossFit YouTube channel and just go through the old videos. The very first video I ever made, which was like terribly cheesy, set to Rocky music. Those two muscle ups are in there, but the, the rest of it isn't, you know, those, those, and I did, I think I sped them up to like one and a half speed because they were so ugly and slow. I feel like when we witness you do the 50 back squats at 185, is going to be very similar to that muscle-up experience. You think I'll get two and then fail? Yeah, and then just tap out. <laughs> a lot of people have reached out to me in support of my 50 back squat endeavor. and To give you the moral support? Yes, they're <laughs> behind moral me. Support. They're behind me. I'm the fan favorite of the three of us, obviously. Um, Todd is like... You're going to need all of that support. Yeah, Todd is like the Iron Sheik of the <laughs> 80s wrestling, and I'm Hulk Hogan, you know? <laughs> Fans hate him, 
I, I, I want to be junkyard dog. So you, I can see that. And, um, but uh, no, a lot of people have reached out and asked that they can join on the challenge. Of course, you're welcome to do it. We're excited to see you hit 50 backsplash. We've had people do it, but this is a challenge between, you know, myself and, and myself. That's it. And um, I like that. You're teeing yourself up to, to not, for, this is a win-win either way, right? <laughs> We're going to see in a couple of weeks. For... Oh, I can't wait. Well, uh, anything else for the muscle up? Anything you want to add? No, you know, I think, I think we've really covered it all. It goes back to, hey, don't sleep on different options. You know, change them up. Figure out what you can do for your members. Come into class. Set yourself up for success. Plan your day out and give some homework out and, and communicate with your athletes. I really don't think we could have said it any better than that. Cool. All right, guys. Another great episode of Best Hour of Their Day. If you have more questions on the muscle-up, Please hit us up. Hey, Fern, we're also five reviews away from 100 on Apple. So I will, I will talk to my mom and see if she will yeah, give us a review. I was going to ask if you get, you know, Mama Fernandez uh, to, to write us something on there. And, you know, your wife, your two kids. Logan, first day of kindergarten today, you said. First day of school today. So I'll see if she's come, I'll see if she comes back ready to write a review. And if not, I'll talk to the teacher. Yeah. I mean, is that not the first thing they learn? Hey guys, open up your phone. Does she have a phone yeah. at this point? I, I, iTunes, everybody, iTunes reviews. <laughs> Best hour of their day. Yeah. Hey. So if you are listening and you enjoy our episodes, you're only five reviews away, so you can make a difference. And uh, I don't know what difference it makes other than it makes me feel better about what we're doing every day. And, and that's it. Make a look, make a, make this man happy. That's all I ask of you guys. <laughs> all right, Fern. Uh, great chat on the muscle up. Uh, we'll be back next week and we've got some great interviews coming your way all week long right here on best hour of their day. Thanks again for listening to best hour of their day. And just so you guys know, it is bonus week. We're going to be bringing you an episode every day, Monday through Friday this week, and we've got some great, great interviews and episodes coming your way. Check out besthouroftheirday.com if you haven't already, and you can find us on social media at besthouroftheirday or email us besthouroftheirday at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.